We're in the prophet Haggai, and uh, I have notes for you with a couple of uh, things to get Haggai into the context of when he, uh, when his ministry was. We need to lump Haggai together with a couple of other books of the Bible and authors of the Bible. Long time ago, in Haggai's uh, uh, context, was what we call the Assyrian crisis. Uh, prior to the Assyrian years, when Assyria was the big enemy, was the years where the Arameans and the Philistines were the enemies. And then you have prophets way back when, like Ezra, Nehemiah, and uh, Joel, Amos, and Obadiah, and even Jonah. Uh, no, Jonah would be from the Assyrian years. And then in the Assyrian crisis, you have Hosea and Jonah, who of course went to the capital of Assyria, Isaiah and Micah, those two often talk to each other in their books. And then uh, we saw when we were studying Chronicles at the end of things that the Assyrians were overthrown by the Babylonians and you suddenly have prophets like Zephaniah and Habakkuk and especially Jeremiah, Ezekiel and Daniel who spans all of the Babylonian years into the Persian years. And then in the Persian era, and I've purposely written the years down wrong because some of you might have, have to memorize that date someday. So rather than write it correctly, which would be 550 to 330, I've written it 555 to 333 because you can remember that number more easily as I've learned when I was frantically taking quizzes day after day in the seminary for four years. So anyhow, it's pretty easy to remember that kind of a date and you just... And the, and the prof will let you have it right as an answer because it's pretty close. So, um, but when you're studying Haggai, and I know that I spelled Malachi incorrectly at the bottom of the screen, but Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, Esther, Ezra, and Nehemiah are all from the same time period. And together they paint the picture of what was going on. And none of them by themselves gives you the whole picture, although Ezra gives a pretty good indication of what was going on. But you need Nehemiah, you need Haggai and Zechariah, and really Malachi and Esther at the end to give you the, the impression of what was going on. But uh, today we're just, we're just focusing on Haggai, which is, incidentally, the second shortest book of the Old Testament. <clears throat> so, yeah, uh, that, that's correct. Yeah, these are, that, that's all a branch of Western Semitic. So um, uh, uh, Hebrew, Aramaic, um, Akkadian, Hittite, Ugaritic, all of those are Western Semitic languages with Moabite, Edomite, Ammonite. They all have similar characteristics. In fact, some of them have very similar alphabets, um, but their own dialectic differences. Um, if I want to say, for example, which, like the one which, you know, in, in Hebrew, I say a share. But in Aramaic, I say kol kaveldi. So you get an idiom difference. Although it's not, it, it's actually closer than you think because it's more like the idiom differences between, say, American English and Australian English. You know, if I see a big vehicle drive by, I would call it a truck. But what would they call it in Australia? A lorry, okay? You know, things like that. So there are, there are some noun differences and a few verbal differences, but mostly it's a similar language. And it might sound different, too. There might be a little bit, like, like American English and Australian English, a little bit of a different accent and so forth. So, 
but good question. At this time, uh, for whatever reason, the Jews talk about something they call the Great Synagogue. And they say that Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi, these prophets, were all part of this Great Synagogue, which was the first recognized um, group of uh, Jewish scholars and so forth. <coughs> and this is mentioned in the Talmud, which is why I bring it up, but I'm not going to dwell on it right now or try to expand because I can't expand on it any further. I don't know anything about the Great Synagogue except that it's called that. And these are some of the earliest men who are regularly cited in the Talmud. We have things that are spoken by these individuals that aren't in scripture in the Mishnah and in the Talmud. So they're not scriptural, but they were things that they might have said or, or a position that they might have taken about an issue. At a quick glance, Haggai is uh, four messages, all except for the first one, um, happen on the 24th of the month. It's just a curiosity. I don't, I don't really know if that's a significant or not, but it, it happens. And they're all dated um, over the course of four months in the year 520 B.C., um, he often says, give careful thought to your ways. It's a call to repent and to rebuild, and we'll talk about what they're rebuilding. And there's a passage about the desired of all nations, and we're going to talk a lot about that today. Haggai's style, he's very fond of something called a chiasm, which is an ABBA or ABBA pattern or ABCCBA pattern. So not ABBA the group, but sorry, but... Um, um, I should have said A, B, C, C, B, A. And then he's very fond of wordplay uh, and repetition. Um, he also uses, this is staggering to me, in 38 verses, he says, thus says, 29 times. So he makes it clear that he is um, the messenger of God. And uh, once again here, it's the second shortest book in the Bible, in the, in the Old Testament, 38 verses. And the third shortest book, Jonah, is just 48 verses long. So although Jonah's four chapters, it's actually shorter than books like Nahum, Habakkuk, and Zephaniah, which are three chapters. The number of chapters, it does not affect things uh, as the number of verses does. So, but Haggai, very, quite short. And then the, just a brief outline, there is a call to rebuild. And we're specifically talking about rebuilding the temple in Haggai and Zechariah both. Then the temple is to be filled with God's glory. Um, and then we're going to talk about a defiled people that will be blessed. And by defiled, I mean ceremonially unclean. Haggai shows the people that they had a problem with uncleanness and therefore God was not blessing them because none of the things they were bringing were clean. So we'll, we'll, we'll look at that as well. And then in the very closing verses, of words really, of the book, there is a promise, a gospel promise to Zerubbabel. I'm going to ask you right now if you recognize the name Zerubbabel. A few? Zerubbabel is in the line of the Savior. Um, he and his father, Shealtiel, are in the line through King Jehoiakim. At the end of Chronicles, we heard about King Jehoiakim. Of the final four kings, he, Jehoiakim was the third. And his son is Shealtiel, and his son is Zerubbabel. And that's the line of the Savior. It's actually mentioned in Matthew um, 1, probably 12. 
Okay? So, I might have that on the sheet or I might not. I don't remember. Um, another little something here from Luther on the sheet. Oh, I've given you the dates there. Um, we have precise dates for all of Haggai's prophecies. Haggai and Zechariah are the two prophets who date things so accurately not only do I know in time the actual dates when the prophecies happened, but with Zechariah, I can sometimes even tell you exactly what time of night. One, one of the issues there is that Zechariah had eight night visions in the same night. Can you imagine? I mean, I'm approaching 60, and so getting up often in the night is something that I just do. But eight visions um, that I have to write down and so forth, that would be... I would have probably slept in the next morning. I don't know. No, I would have gotten up and told people and then taken a nap. But anyway, um, so, but we have some precise dates. August 29th, 520 is when Haggai's first message comes and the reconstruction of the temple resumes finally on September the 21st, that same year. Um, his second message comes on October 17th, shortly thereafter. And then after Zechariah begins his ministry in December, Haggai's third message comes on December 18th and later the same day, the fourth message. And that's the entire book of Haggai from August 29th to mid-December in 520 BC. Um, I think I have reason to believe that Haggai was extremely old also. Um, and I kind of wonder if maybe Haggai in Babylon was thinking of making the same decision that Mordecai made, which was to stay in Babylon. Um, but Haggai became aware that things were not happening in Jerusalem. Um, in fact, what had happened was they were beginning to lay the foundation for the temple, and Cyrus the Great had ordered that they be given all of this material from Lebanon and so forth. Go buy, I'll give you money, go and buy all this material and build the temple. And they had bought a lumber yard full of cedar logs. <clears throat> Haggai gets there 16 years later and says, where's the temple? By the way, you guys have such nice cedar paneling in all of your kitchens, but where's the temple? And that's really the, 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 the whole message of Haggai is nice kitchen, where's the temple? If you can remember that much about Haggai, you will remember the key of the book, okay? And then we have a brief promise to Zerubbabel. So, uh, any questions that far on the, on the introduction? We're in the year 520 B.C., 16 years after the Israelites have returned from the exile. And Haggai, uh, a very old man, I say that because I believe he was there when the first temple was still standing. Therefore, now he is not only over 70, He's over 80, and he may be in his late 80s by now. Haggai, I, I can almost see him kind of sighing, looking at a compass, looking at a map, looking at the sun, looking at his watch, looking in the mirror. <sighs> and okay, I got to go. So he walks from Babylon over the Fertile Crescent. How many hundreds of miles is that? to Jerusalem. You know, but around the Fertile Crescent is not a straight line. That's a long, long trip. You going to do it, Aaron? Just cut in when you find the number or can give me a, 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 a guesstimate, okay? We'll start the book. Haggai 1. What would be a modern-day city of Babylon? Uh, Mosul. It's 
across the street. Yeah. And Mosul to, uh, let's say, um, Aleppo to Jerusalem. Those are the three coordinates I would give you. Fair enough? The second year of King Darius, this is 520 BC, on the first day of the sixth month, which is in August or September, the word of the Lord came through Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Josedek, the high priest. So governor is the grandson of the exiled king, Jehoiakim. And he's in the line of the savior. And then there's the high priest of the people as well. By the way, Haggai's name, means festival, something like that. Sometimes if a girl is born on December 25th, families might name her Chrissy. Her full name would be Christmas. Sometimes people do that. Um, Or if a child, a, a daughter is born, say, on Easter Sunday, they might call her Stasi. Why? For Anastasia, which means resurrection in Greek. So they might call her something like that. Um, anyhow, oh, and in, 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 in former times, if you were born on the, on, the, on, the, on the festival day of a saint, that was your name. How do we know what day Martin Luther was born on? St. Martin's Day. Yeah, in fact, the church records are that he was baptized the following day, which makes total sense. Born on St. Martin's Day, baptized the next day, which would be, what is it, February, is it 19th? Um, 15, uh, 1483, right? So Luther's, if I got his birthday wrong? Anyway, um, but what, the reason why he was named what he was named. You got a mileage there? 11 days to walk. 11 days to walk? Yeah, okay. And, but probably not for an 86-year-old man. So, well, probably in good, probably in much better physical shape than a 50-year-old man today. So maybe it, maybe it only took Haggai 10 days, whereas it would take me 40, you know, 40 days and 40 nights. <clears throat> Certainly did not. All right. This is what the Lord of Armies says. The people, this people has said it is not right, it is not the right time for the house of the Lord to be built. Why were they saying it's not the right time? Because their enemies were attacking them over the issue and, and verbally attacking them and threatening them. They had a guy named Tatanai and some others who were just giving them a hard time and saying, you can't build the temple. This is illegal. We're going to tell on you. And so what God's people finally said was, go ahead and tell on us and see what the king says. Because it was this king's predecessor, Cyrus, who gave us permission to come and build. And so in the book of Ezra, there are all of these, in your NIV, there will be all these indented, um, boring parts of their, and their letters from one guy to another guy about search the records and you will find, that's what all this is. It's this correspondence between the Israelites and the, and the, and the Persian uh, monarchy about did we have permission to, come back home and to rebuild or not. And the verdict finally is, yes, they have permission. Let them rebuild. Um, But the people are saying, I don't think it's the right time. So the word of the Lord came through Haggai the prophet. 
It, it, is it time for you to live in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? That's where I got that expression, you know, oh, nice paneling in your kitchen. Um, and I know those are just ordinary pine two-by-fours, but it was, it was cords and cords of, of cedar logs that, that had been used. Now, this is what the Lord of Armies says. Consider your ways carefully. You sow much seed, but you harvest little. You eat, but you are never satisfied. You drink, but you never become drunk. That's an interesting translation choice. You, really, you drink, but you never are filled, but drunk. You get dressed, but no one is warm. The one who makes money puts that money into a bag with a hole in it. When I was, uh, oh, Ezra, how old are you? I was about 13, maybe a little bit younger. I was minding the, my dad's paint store with my grandmother. And as we were watch, look, look, just looking out there one Saturday or Friday or whatever day it was in the summertime, we saw the most respected man in my hometown, Mr. Marquardt, walking back and forth in front of the paint store windows, the front, the front door of the store, looking at the ground, pacing back and forth, back and forth, staring at the ground and stooping down. We found out that he was... There, there was all this money on the ground. Um, quarters, nickels, dimes, pennies, 50 cent pieces. And he found, I forget how much it was, but it was like $12 and something in change laying all over the ground. And what it turned out is that across the street was the bank. And somebody had been taking all their money to the bank in a paper bag that was wet and it had a hole, and, and so the money started falling out of the, of the bag all over the, all over the sidewalk. And Mr. Marquardt actually took it into the bank. And I think he found the person um, with, and, and told them, you know, all this money was, you know, is this from, you? anyway. I remember that, but it's an example of, 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 of a bag with a hole in it and money falling out all over the place. <clears throat> God says, this is what the Lord of Armies says. Consider your words carefully. That's the second time he said it. Go up to the mountains, bring lumber down, and build the house. That's really the whole point of the book. Um, you got to be given lumber before. Now you got to go up and cut it yourself. And how far away, by the way, is the lumber? It's way up, yeah, in Lebanon, in Syria. They're going to have to go a long way to get to... To, 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 to get to where the lumber is. But God says, go get the money or go get the lumber and come down and build the house. And this next sentence in verse 8 is key. I will be pleased with it and I will be glorified, says the Lord. Is it going to be a spectacular edifice? No, it's going to be a little barn. But, you know, they're really going to have kind of a barn raising and that's all it's that. But God says, I'll be pleased. I know this is not going to be spectacular. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, uh, armies or Sabaoth is the Lord of hosts in other translations often or the, or the Lord Almighty sometimes. But it really means uh, 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 the Lord is reminding the, the poor people in Judah, who's backing you up? Who's behind you? This is not just the local deity the, the, the statue in the niche in the kitchen. This is the God of armies who's supporting you. And he's going to tell them eventually, um, you're afraid of all these armies? Don't be. I'm with you. 
So yeah, that's coming up. So he says, you expected much, but look, there was little. When you brought it home, it, I blew it away. Why did I do that? This is a declaration of the Lord of armies. It is because my house lies in ruins while each of you is busy with your own house. So it is because of you that the heavens have withheld the dew and the earth has withheld its produce. God, as, as they're making poor decisions about how they're going to spend their money by stealing what was the Lord's and by not even working for the Lord, the Lord has withheld all of his blessings from them. And not only is it just a few blessings, but check this out. I called for a drought on the land, on the mountains, on the grain, on the new wine, on the olive oil, on everything the soil produces, on people, on livestock, and on all the labor of your hands. You've been wanting to have babies? You haven't been getting pregnant. Your animals are dying of old age and they're not having young. You're, 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 you're looking for the wealth of Canaan and you're not finding it because you're not giving me praise and I'm not blessing you. God is saying, do you get it? Give to me and I'll open up the floodgates and give to you. God does bless our sanctification. Yeah, yeah. There are other passages like, in Isaiah, lengthen your courts. Your tent is too small. One of the answers God gives to prayer sometimes is you're not asking for enough. So there, there, there is the idea that God sometimes says yes, sometimes he says no, sometimes he says not yet, and sometimes he says you're not asking for enough. So here we go. You know, I'm going to give you plenty and God will bless us. If we choose to do something that will please God, um, because he's asked us to, he will bless it and give us even more. Um, uh, yeah, and we don't want to get into a prosperity gospel, as if God will make me wealth beyond my wildest dreams. But will God allow me to die of starvation while I am building up his kingdom? No, he'll take care of me. Then Zerubbabel and Joshua, the high priest, with all the surviving remnant of the people, listened to the voice of the Lord, their God, and to the words of Haggai the prophet, because the Lord their God had sent him, so the people feared the Lord. This is really repentance in this verse. Hear their fear. We really have to translate it two ways, don't we? They're scared of the Lord. Why? Because he's scary, because he said he was displeased with them. But the fear of the Lord is also the beginning of trust in the Lord. So there are two ways of, 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 of uh, this word, yara, yare, to, uh, to fear and uh, to fear. So to, to be scared of and to trust both. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, spoke the Lord's message to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. And here's the gospel. Out of nowhere, the gospel. Um, I was teaching our catechism class, I think it was the evening group, a couple weeks ago, and describing to them the difference between the law and the gospel. And I would say, what is the opposite? We have the law, and they said, law and order. Whoops, no. I said, no, it's, it's the law and, and I got punishment. I said, let's try it one more time. Law and, oh, and one kid said, incarceration. I thought, good word, but no, and... And, and then I said, no, it's gospel. And one of the boys who sits in front said, 
But that's totally unlike the law. And that's exactly the point. The gospel is totally unlike the law. The law condemns us. The law is God's way of keeping the world together with a few, you know, as a curb around certain horrific actions. And the, the law shows us our sinfulness. But the gospel is where God's love floods us and God blesses us and gives us his grace and his forgiveness. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the governor, and the spirit of Joshua, the high priest, and the spirit of all the surviving remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of armies, their God. On the 24th day of the sixth month, in the second year of King Darius, this is this day in September, 21st of September, 520, the people are, how do we say this? We're putting their faith into action or into practice, right? They're showing the result of their repentance, really. This is the fruit of their repentance. We're going to do what God said. We're going to please him by doing his will. And right now, his will is that we rebuild this rinky-dink little pole barn that we're going to build and, and kind of call his temple, even though it's just going to be kind of a foundation with some poles and some siding. It's not going to be great. You've been listening to Invisible Church, the Bible study podcast from St. Paul's Lutheran Church, New Wall, Minnesota.